Please turn your Bibles now to the book of Judges. Our congregation's been working through a series through this book. Uh, We've taken a couple of weeks off uh, due to some travel and some other things. So we're now coming back to chapter 10. And we're just going to look at the first five verses. Uh, Children, I don't know if you can remember. Can you remember some of the judges we've talked about so far in this book? Can anyone remember one? Yes? Okay, Deborah and Barak. Yeah, that was one. Yeah. Say it again. Gideon. Good. In fact, uh, Gideon, we've just finished studying. That's the longest section of the whole book. Good. Any others come to mind? No. Oh, yes, over here. Yes. Shamgar, right. Underappreciated. Yes. Othniel. Good. And I think there was one more. Yes. Very good for all the lefties out there. Great. So, so uh, we've, had, uh, we've had five, six, we've had five so far, and we're about to get six and seven. And, and there's been sort of this anti-judge that we just had, Abimelech, who's come on the scene and really messed things up. So we're picking up after Abimelech and his uh, tragic end, and uh, we'll here see God sending judge number six and seven. Now let's give attention to God's word. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, son of Puah, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he dwelt in Shamir in the mountains of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shamir. After him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel 22 years. Now he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They also had 30 towns, which are called Havot Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Camon. There ends the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us as we think about these two, uh, what are called minor judges together. And they're called minor just because there's so little written about them. Well, uh, a number of years ago when our family uh, was returning from our first foray to Northern Ireland, uh, we stopped in, in Pennsylvania around the Philadelphia area because a former member of the church, uh, Lisa Edgar, oh boy, what was her name before that? Lisa, what? Baldwin, yes, right. So Lisa Baldwin, who was marrying uh, Adam Edgar, uh, Daniel's brother. And so we stopped in because we were just before the wedding to visit them. And we stayed with Daniel's parents. Had a nice couple of days. And we're packing up to leave. And um, my daughters had a little disagreement on who was going to sit where in the car. And uh, one daughter in particular was very unhappy about the seat that had been chosen for her. You, you, can, you can ask and figure out who it was. And in the midst of all the, um, the, that, that transpired, uh, Daniel in his wisdom, this was before Daniel was married, he was still at home with his parents, said, you know, it seems like with girls you do get less violence, but way more drama. Uh, Daniel, having grown up mostly with brothers, Uh, experienced more violence and less drama and he could see the difference 
And if we're honest with ourselves, we all have to admit that there are times where there is too much drama. We would really love to have less drama. And it seems like it's impossible in our current uh, situation to have that. Because right now, it's hard to, um, uh, to uh, read the newspaper. It's hard to watch an athletic event uh, on TV. It's hard to go to some stores without just in your face some completely ridiculous uh, idea being foisted on you. Uh, something that's an affront to biblical truth. It's an affront to reality itself oftentimes. And, and, and it seems like 24-7 we are just being bombarded with lots and lots of drama. And it's actually helpful for you to realize that that's the norm, uh, unfortunately, for God's people living in a fallen world, that drama is the norm for life in this world. It's really the times of rest and recovery that are abnormal. Uh, We sometimes think that that's the way it should be all the time and that the drama is interrupting our time of peace and tranquility. But in this world, it's the other way around and we need to learn to look at times of tranquility as a tremendous blessing from the hand of God. And that's the main point that I want you to see as we look at the passage recognize that God graciously gives you times of refreshment just when you need them most desperately. And children, if you would draw me a picture today, why don't you draw a picture of one of these men riding on a donkey that we read about, and then let's listen for what that stands for, what that teaches us. There is an outline in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The first thing I want you to notice is that God's people desperately need times of refreshing. The first part of the first verse of this passage, after Abimelech. So that, that's easy to read. It's hard to take in all that that means, after Abimelech. Because what, what does Abimelech stand for? Abimelech, you remember, was an, the illegitimate son of Gideon. And uh, Gideon had been raised up by God to deliver the people from this great crowd of Midianites who had come in and oppressed them. And Gideon was a good judge. He delivered the people. We said that he didn't finish well. He sort of compromised near the end of his life. Well, then in, in, in the aftermath of Gideon, Abimelech, his illegitimate son, uh, made himself king and then killed all of his half-brothers, all of Gideon's other sons except for one, and made himself king and ruled over the people until he was eventually killed. But God, uh, through Abimelech, brought discord and civil war and infighting and ultimately a disgraceful death. If you look, just look back up in chapter 9, the last two verses before the passage we just read. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, God returned on their own heads, and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. So this is the disaster that was Abimelech's time as he was ruling over things. And so when it says in verse 1, after Abimelech, it's saying after this time of chaos and confusion, a serious drama that was going on, uh, this is what happened. 
and recognize that behind the scenes in all of this, and I know it's been a little while, behind the scenes of all of this is a spiritual problem. So if you turn back to chapter 8, uh, verses 35, sorry, 33 uh, to 35, it says, So it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals, and made Baal bereath their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubal, that is Gideon, in accordance with the good that he had done for Israel. So that's what's behind all of this. They have rejected God, and they have rejected God's servant in Gideon. And this is the situation they find themselves in. Uh, I had the blessing of uh, visiting with uh, Phil Walker a little bit last week, and uh, Phil uh, spent some time in his childhood in Rhodesia. It was really interesting to learn about that. Um, Rhodesia uh, declared its independence and then almost instantly was plunged into a sort of civil war that lasted for 10 years. And uh, it, it's, it's a fascinating window. Th this, is, this is what happens in the world, that there's so much promise, there, there's so much hope, and then it just goes right into uh, terrible um, chaos and difficulty. And, uh, and this is, in fact, the norm. This, this, is a, this is a dark episode that we're reading about. And it's easy for us, living in the kind of prosperity that we live in now, uh, to think that the norm is for us to have peace and prosperity and ease. But this is not the life that Christians are living around the world. It's not the life they're living at all. And they're dealing with this kind of thing on a constant basis. And we need to be reminded of that. Now, you may feel like in your own life, uh, you, see, uh, you see what I'm talking about. Uh, that it's, 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 a, it's a problem with your health or a family member's health or there, there's things in your house that are breaking. There's relationships uh, that are strained. And, and, and so we, even in our own families, are sometimes brought to saying, how long, Lord, how long will you forget me forever? It seems like uh, we desperately need a break. And uh, this is, in fact, common for the people of God. But secondly, we see in the passage that God knows exactly what you need and, and when you need it. It says in the second part of verse 1, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. So uh, there's a lot in this verse as well. That there, there arose to save them. They needed to be saved. And, uh, and we understand because of all the chaos that had happened during Abimelech's reign and because of this religious declension that was going on, they needed saving. And so it says there arose. This is an example of what we might call the, d the divine passive. Like who did what? Who's actually doing the action? It, it doesn't say. It's implied it's God that's doing it. God is the one who raised up this man Tola because this is exactly what the people needed. God is the actor. Tola is there to save or to deliver. That word could be translated the people. And recognize they don't have an external enemy at this point as they have in, mu in much of this book. Their enemy is internal. And, uh, and all the, the chaos that he caused while he was there leading to this civil war uh, within the nation. And that's why he's been raised up 
to deliver them. Uh, One of the commentators uh, speaking about this says, uh, this is actually a reminder that the church's greatest enemy, its greatest problem is often the church. And often what we need saving from is in fact ourselves, our own agendas, uh, our own failings, our own ambitions, our own uh, divisions. And here is, is God raising up a savior to save them from themselves. And notice again, there's no crying out. Uh, God is delivering them apart from them asking for help. He is coming, seeing their need and meeting it. And I think we need to see that God actually does this in our own lives at times. Uh, you, you are at your wit's end and you think you can't take any more. And then a call comes in and someone offers to watch your children uh, for a while, uh, to give you a break. And uh, you think, wow, uh, God knew what I needed. Or um, a friend comes to keep you company when you're really struggling with loneliness. Or uh, a monetary gift shows up in time for you to pay your bills. Or a friend gives you an encouraging word uh, just to keep you going uh, most, when you most need it. And, 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 and this is a reminder to you, God never abandons his people. Sometimes it looks like it. Sometimes it looks like he's not there, but he's always there. And he often works through the people around us. And he's completely in control of every situation. He knows what you need and he knows when you need it. Well, we see here in our passage that a period of quiet in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the drama, is a precious gift. And although these are just a few brief verses, the description here is actually very significant. God provides these two judges at a time that leads them out of this trauma of civil war caused by Abimelech. And note that these judges are acting as sort of a unifying force because in verse 2 it tells us that he judged Israel. Not just one section, not just one part of the people, but all of Israel. He comes to judge. And commentators, it's funny because since there's not much written, commentators have to come up with uh, a lot to try to describe what's going on here. And sometimes they're sort of dismissive of Tola. He doesn't really do much. And they're actually kind of hostile to Jair. He's presented as some kind of a mini tyrant. I mean, who else, who would ride around on donkeys visiting people? You know, it sounds tyrannical, doesn't it? And, uh, and, and they give him a bad rap. But I don't think there's anything actually in the text that tells us uh, this is bad. In fact, the whole picture is one of peace and prosperity. It says that Tola judged them for uh, 23 years, and then he dies and he's buried in his hometown. It's an honorable death. Uh, The the picture is one of faithful service. Um, And likewise, we do read about Jair. Now, Jair is a Gileadite, which means he's from the eastern side of the Jordan River. So he's across the Jordan River, and he's serving over there. And it does tell us he has these 30 sons uh, riding on these donkeys, but they're not riding on war horses. They're, they're riding on donkeys. It's a, it's a picture of peace. It's a picture of their ministry out to those around them. And likewise, uh, we're told that he dies and is buried in his hometown. So again, it's a picture of an honorable burial, and it seems like uh, this is a picture of peace for us. Uh, Matthew Henry commenting on this said, uh, says, quiet and peaceable reigns, though the best to live in, 
are the worst to write of, as yielding least variety of matter for the historian to entertain his reader with. Such were the reigns of these two judges, Tola and Jair, who make but a small figure and take up uh, but a very little room in this history. Uh, Do you see what he's saying there? It's pretty funny, actually, right? Uh, But at least he doesn't invent a bunch of stuff, right? He just acknowledges, yeah, there's not much there. It's kind of boring. It's hard to write about. But that's characteristic of times of peace. That's actually a good thing. No drama. No drama. Kids, like we like it when uh, there's sword fighting and people are getting uh, hammers and nails driven into their heads and things like that. You know, that gets our attention. But this is actually better to live in. Uh, it's saying this is a better situation uh, that we should live in. And we don't really know how long the, the, this lasted. It said that one judge went for 23 years, one for 22. It doesn't tell us if they went one right after the other, if perhaps there was a gap. So this could have been a period of quite a significant amount of time. But we should see this as it is given to us in the text, which is as a breath of fresh air. This is a breather after the last episode that we just had. Uh, Barry Webb commenting on this says, crises of one kind or another are inevitable in this world. Interludes are gracious gifts of God and foretastes of our final rest in heaven. And that's again this point, that the time of peace and relaxing is not normal. This is the interlude. This is the precious gift from God. The stress, the drama, the chaos, that unfortunately, when you're living in a fallen world, is a constant that we have to deal with. I don't know if you realize how amazing this last week was from a Supreme Court standpoint. Rarely have we gotten this many decisions actually rooted in law, not rooted in the personal preferences of the justices. Is it going to stop the fighting? No, it's not going to stop the fighting, the chaos, and the disagreements within our society. But you take it as a gift from the Lord. You breathe a sigh of relief And you go on. And this is exactly the way it should be in our lives. Uh, I spent many years as a a coach. And I found that when I was coaching, it was really easy to look at a situation and see what was wrong with it. You you become trained to see when a guy's not in the right place. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. And you find that all you're doing is correcting mistakes all the time. And I had to make a conscious effort to praise the people that were doing it right. Because it it just turns into all you're focusing on all the time is what's broken. You're not reinforcing and encouraging like you should what's being done properly. And it's so easy for us to get into that pattern in our lives where we see what's out of place and we focus on that and we miss the true blessings that God has given us, these times of refreshment, these precious gifts. My wife and I have the blessing right now of having all of our kids and our uh, sons-in-law with us. And I'm tempted to say, ah, it's too short. They're all leaving. It's, it's, It's over. It's only a few days. It's not what I should be focusing on. It's a precious gift to have you all here. 
What a blessing, even if it doesn't last as long as I wish it would. And this is the way we need to train ourselves to think about our lives. It's so easy to just be thinking, I'm going from one set of drama to the next. The power's out, I got to deal with my frozen food, you know, all this stuff. And I realize that's challenging. But how God should remind us, what a blessing it is. We, We mostly have our power. Right? We, we, we mostly have it, and, and we're not there thinking, God, what a blessing this is that we have our power. We just take that for granted. Is the air conditioning failing on us here? <laughs> but but this, is the, this is the attitude of our heart that we need to develop. Every period of quiet and refreshment like this is a gift from God. So fourthly, we need to see here also that what we need most is spiritual renewal. Spiritual Now, again, the text tells us that Tola, um, that he dwelt in Shamir. Uh, That's what my translation, that word could be translated, he sat in Shamir. And here the picture is, so there's two things. It says first he, somebody needed to save Israel. Somebody needed to bring like stability back into their situation. But then it said that he, he, he judged them. And so he sat there dispensing wisdom teaching the people and I think we need to see that this is part of the role of the judge is to train the people to reform them spiritually to teach them and to help them to do uh, what they should do with regard to God and this is highlighted I think in in Jair's situation with these 30 sons Uh, so a couple of thoughts on this they may have been his sons Uh, But they also may have been sort of his apprentices. The same word could be used to mean uh, those who served with him. And the idea would be younger men that he has put in positions to help in this work of judging. And so what it's telling us is they are riding around on their donkeys, making a circuit, uh, teaching the people, helping the people, uh, answering their questions, trying to see the people reformed. I put in your outline a cross-reference from 1 Chronicles 17, verse 6. And here, what my point is, what it says about the judges. Uh, Here is God speaking to David as David desired to build a temple. And God said, wherever I I have moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, the point I want you to see, understand, this is he's talking about the judges. And he's saying part of the judge's role is to shepherd his people. We think the judges are there to kill people and to deliver them militarily. And yes, that is part of the job. But this shepherding aspect is also there as well, leading them to worship and serve God. And uh, I give you another cross-reference from 1 Samuel 7, 15 to 17 because it describes something similar in Samuel's life it says and Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life Samuel's actually the final judge he went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel Gilgal and Mitzpah and judged Israel in all those places but he always returned to Ramah for his home was there There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So that's the picture that we have in Jair's uh, sons. He's moving around. He's moving around to serve the people, to teach the people, to help them deal with their disputes. 
Uh, Matthew Henry uh, commenting on this says, they were judges itinerant who as deputies to their father rode from place to place in their several circuits to administer justice. And this is important because um, we can lament about whatever's going on in our society. We can be arguing for getting involved politically, for doing this and that. And I'm not saying that those aren't worthy things. But at the end of the day, what matters is what's going on in people's hearts and whether or not we love God and our commitment is to serve God. And this is what's helpful for us to remember. Um, Freedom from war is a good thing, and they had that here. But more important is what God's doing to, to help them revive spiritually, to help them grow spiritually. And, and this is where we need to understand we actually have tremendous opportunities ourselves because, uh, yes, we, many of us, most of us are not called to get involved in politics and things like that, but we certainly are called to help with God's refreshing work spiritually, that we can encourage one another, that we can study his word, that we can uh, spend our time in prayer, that we can be seeking the spiritual good of the people around us as a time of revival and rest. And I think this is a a big uh, part of the genius of the Lord giving us a day, one day in seven, to rest and to be refreshed, to come into his house and to worship. It's, It's a radical concept that God is renewing you weekly as you just stop, stop all the drama and come into his house and focus your attention on him. And what a difference that makes in our lives uh, to be able to be refreshed spiritually. Uh, Quoting from Isaiah 58, it's speaking about the delight of the Sabbath, but this is related to what we're talking about. It says in verse 14, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, that there is a blessing to us, reviving us as we wait upon the Lord. So we recognize our our greatest need isn't physical revival, it's spiritual revival, and God uh, is engaged in doing that as well. And then finally, I want you to see here that we ought to give thanks to God for giving us rest, rest and refreshment through his son. How does this refreshment come to us. Well, there's something interesting, and I don't want to make too much of this, uh, but children, you probably noticed that there was a funny name in here, that Tola was the son of Pua, the son of Dodo. And that's not a word, a name that we would use, uh, as it, it, but it is, a, it is a Hebrew name, and it's an honorable name. But the word that's translated Dodo there can also be translated uh, his, his, his brother's father. Uh, So literally, it could be son of Dodo, could be son of his uncle. And I put in your outline the the ancient Greek translation of this passage. I I put it in English so it would make sense. But look at how it's translated there. Uh, After Abimelech, Tola, the son of Pua, rose up to save Israel, being the son of his father's brother. Now, I don't know if that's what's in view, but the ancient translators thought it was. And they thought when it said his father's brother, 
it was talking about Abimelech, mentioned at the beginning of the verse. Who is Abimelech's father? Gideon. And so the commentators thought that this is actually referring to someone who's related to Gideon. That's an interesting idea. Because part of what happened that led to this tragedy is they rejected God and they rejected Gideon and his house. Gideon, the one God had chosen to lead them. And it's possible that God here is bringing back a deliverer out of Gideon's house again to revive and to restore these people. And even if that's not the right translation, it is true that God brings you rest and revival through his servant's house, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus comes. And and the, the incredible thing about Jesus is that he comes and enters into all of this drama, all of this wickedness and dysfunction and jealousy and selfishness and all of that that describes our world and Jesus willingly goes into that leaving heaven behind so that he can live in the midst of our drama and and actually then suffer under it and taking the full force of it so that for you and me if we trust in him we can be delivered And drama is not the final word for us. I I cannot stand here and promise you you'll ever be free from it in this life. But what I am telling you is God gives you moments of respite to remind you that your ultimate destination is a drama-free existence. That's why in Revelation it talks about being in a place where there is no death, there is no sorrow, there are no tears. All those things that make life difficult to live are gone because in Christ we have this glorious promise. And we need to train ourselves what to expect in this world, but also to learn to see these moments of rest and refreshment as gifts to us now and as pointing us forward to this ultimate rest that he has promised it. It only comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So recognize that God graciously, graciously gives you times of refreshment. He gives those to you just when you need them so that you will learn to focus your attention on the Lord and on his good gifts. Let's pray and let's give him thanks for that. Heavenly Father, we come to you admitting that uh, we have days when we just think, Lord, we've had enough. We can't take it anymore. It's just one thing after another. Uh, If it's not something going on at the cultural level, it's it's something going on in our personal lives and our families. And Lord, we pray for your grace. We pray that you would help us to see your hand at work even in these difficult times. And we pray, Lord, that we would uh, seek you for refreshment and for rest. We thank you that in this little passage here that that we may just skip over. It seems so boring that we would see uh, a profound spiritual truth that you send 
these moments of refreshment to your people just when they're needed. And uh, they're meant to point us to the Savior, uh, the one that uh, accomplishes rest for us, the one who promises rest and offers us rest in himself. And Lord, how we pray that um, you would help us to also see these moments of refreshment as, uh, as down payments on an eternity of drama-free living with you in joy and in perfection. And we pray that this would give us strength uh, to have perseverance now. Uh, Lord, how we thank you that our Savior entered into uh, all the drama of our life so that he could deliver us from it. And we thank you that uh, the rest of heaven uh, awaits us. Uh, Lord, help us to learn to enjoy uh, these moments of rest. We pray that you would do your good work of refreshing us spiritually uh, while we wait for our Savior to return. And we pray we might even see these things in our lives in the coming week. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And now let's sing our praise back to the Lord uh, from Psalm 13b. Uh, this is a psalm I quoted earlier um, where the psalmist cries out, O oh Lord, how long uh, will you forget me forever? And uh, he recognizes all that's against him. But you see how the psalm ends. But in your loving kindness, I have placed my confidence and trust. My heart sings and my soul in salvation joys. I will freely sing to the Lord who has shown such goodness to me. That's where our focus should be on our great God who refreshes our souls. Let's stand and we'll sing our praise to him.